Welcome to Cincy Reform Podcast. I'm Pastor Brandon, joined again with Pastor Zach. We're pastors at Westside Reform Church, a URC congregation in Cincinnati, Ohio. And today I, I thought I would interview Zach. Uh, Zach is um, well is a church planter, but now Westside has uh, particularized, and he's very much in the uh, church planting world. You're on the church planting committee. And you think a lot about church planting. Um, you've been doing it for a long time, been thinking about it for a long time, studying it for a long time. And so there's many out there who might be in a similar vein in terms of planting a church or thinking of planting a church. There's also many people who are part of church plants um, or might one day be part of a church plant. And so thinking, I think, about church planting um, both from the perspective of a minister and the perspective of a um, congregant, I think could be helpful. And so I have some questions that I wanted to, to ask Zach and kind of get his wisdom and reflection on. Uh, the first question, how did you prepare to be a church planter? Did you just one day get up and do it? Like what, what, what prepared you to do this? I think there are a lot of life experiences that play into things. I might not have even been seeking training at the time, but it was helpful in terms of training. I mean, I spent a number of years working with uh, Campus Crusade for Christ and then InterVarsity on college campuses. And those years were specifically um, over in Europe. And so there's a lot of engaging with apologetic questions and learning to explain Christianity in simple uh, ways and not, not assuming a real, that, that people to, to whom I'm um, ministering have a wealth of biblical background. And so I think that was helpful because even if, you know, our church began with people who were already Christians, but there's still a lot of explanation that needed to occur, of catechesis that needed to occur to help uh, just explain why we were so weird and why we are still pretty weird in comparison with the run-of-the-mill church uh, nowadays. But I think, so I think that there there was an element of that for me where just some experience and I think that, you know, anybody who is aspiring to be a church planter as a pastor, I mean, there are, I'm sure, many ways of have, having, uh, growing in your experience with uh, sharing the gospel with people who have who are unbelievers or working with people who are maybe antagonistic toward Reformed Christianity, uh, learning how to uh, guide all sorts of different people. I mean, because you know, guiding men or, or women or older people or younger people toward the Reformed confessions and Reformed worship that takes that's not it's not a one size fits all approach. And so I think having a lot of diverse experiences with different people is um, is important. I think that, of course, seminary training, I think, is uh, essential. I, I, As one of my former professors would say, you don't want to go to a hospital and have surgery from a, a surgeon who just got an online degree or maybe he was just really good with his hands and so he became a surgeon. You want someone who's really well trained. And how much more should that be the case if we're talking about someone who's a physician of the soul? 
And uh, so I think that just having a um, that that sort of uh, an informed view of the Christian tradition, uh, the Reformed tradition as well within that, and um, how how to undertake our practical theology to bring that to bring our doctrine biblical understanding to bear is, is essential. So yeah, I mean I think seminary training is huge. There are some good books out there as well. Um, the URC has a church planting manual you can get for free on the urcna.org website. And I believe you can also order that for very little. I believe at Reformed Fellowship mm-hmm. has uh, copies of that to for uh, for minimal purchase price. That's very good. The OPC has a handbook of church, for church planting as well, which I found to be very helpful um, too. Those are a few things. Yeah, and so like as you were in, you're you're coming to a close on seminary, mm-hmm. thinking about church planting. Was there internships that you did, or? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was really proactive in seeking out training because I wanted to be a church planter, and so sought out on one hand a church that was formerly a church plant, and so I was at Oceanside United Reformed Church. They were a church plant in the URC, and they still have a bit of that church plant vibe to it you know mm-hmm. it's not a stereotypical urc by any stretch and so i wanted to be part of that and then um, that afforded me opportunities to speak with the uh, pastor there daniel hyde about church planting and he had done some writing on that and um, teaching on that topic and still does it also did an internship at um, christ reformed church in washington dc it's no longer a church plant now, but it still has that feel to it again. Back when I was there, it was a church plant. And so that gave me lots of, uh, of an opportunity to uh, just experiment with what does this mean to be a church planter in a confessional and urban context and to have 30,000 foot view conversations with the uh, church planter there, Brian Lee, and to even begin to you know dialogue with him about what it might mean to plant a church in Cincinnati and I can't even tell you how many drafts I went through in terms of documentation of like, mm. you know, what, what a plan might look like. Mm. I mean, I'm sure that what actually came to pass later on looked nothing like my first draft. But I think the whole, the whole practice of going through and def- articulating what might occur is just a helpful practice. And we've seen that um, in later years with Madison in Indianapolis as well. But, sure. Yeah. And so as you were, you hid your eyes on Cincinnati, was there any groundwork at, you know, kind of on the ground, boots on the ground, Cincinnati? Uh, was there work that you did to kind of till the soil a bit before you launched? Yeah. And it looked different for Cincinnati than it did for Madison and Indianapolis. And in case our listeners are not quite sure, we've um, spearheaded two more church plants since ours um, particularized or organized. We... We've been working with Madison, Indiana, and Indianapolis, Indiana. And I think it may be helpful to just mention those two because the three of ours have not looked at all the same. They've been very different and followed different, you know, uh, paths. And uh, so for us in Cincinnati, it was kind of spearheaded by me as a church planter. And I was put in touch with a few people who were interested in forming a core group. And so we, you know, we did advertisements to try to publicize some initial um, Bible studies to try to create a bit of a, a core group that uh, believed in um, the, the vision of planting a confessional tur- liturgical reformed church in Cincinnati. Some of the other 
uh, Reformed churches in Cincinnati were also helpful and encouraging toward us and toward me. And so uh, they welcomed me into their pulpits to, uh, to, to speak and to raise the profile of what we were trying to do in the West Side. And so New City PCA helped out in that regard. Uh, what's now called Good Shepherd OPC, Living Hope PCA, they all were very kind. They were especially kind, uh, North Cincinnati Community Church. And so that just helped raise the profile of things and helped us to find a couple more families that were interested in a, a work in the West Side. Um, when we think about you know Madison, Madison's a bit more of like a long kind of thing we did where Colin came to Cincinnati and it's only about an hour away from his hometown of Madison. And so he used Cincinnati as a bit of a, a launch point to kind of begin to work in, in Madison and that, that um, spread out over the course of a couple of years where he did a summer internship with us after he had previously sent, sent a bunch of newsletters. Uh, during the summer internship, though, he led Bible studies there weekly and met with contacts. And then people from that, uh, from that fledgling group started to drive to Cincinnati to worship with us. Then he, Colin came back and moved to, to Madison for another internship year and continued to work with that core group and develop it. And so that was kind of spread out for a period of time as he was able to, to uh, bring a core group together. Uh, for, for Indianapolis was different in that we were working with families in a core group already, but we did not have a church planter. And so that, that created a whole bunch of other different kinds of um, issues. But, you know, again, it's just trying to get the word out, trying to find, on one hand, people who um, really believe in your particular vision, maybe even people who are new to the city who want to begin a church plant, uh, but also to be open to people who are not Christians or um, just simply trying to figure out where are they within the Christian tradition. And so, um, mm. yeah. yeah, that's helpful. So as, you know, as we're thinking about church planning and all the work that goes into it and starting this thing and, uh, and gathering a core group, doing all the necessary things that, that a church planner must do, uh, obviously requires money. It requires funding. It requires backers. Mm-hmm. Um, is that, is that, uh, part of the process in church planting, um, to get sponsors and these things, what are some ways that maybe you found out helpful? Yeah, the there are some out there who might advocate and say that you can, you don't need to have funding for a church planter. They can just be bivocational, work a nine to five, and then do church planting on top of that. I, I, if you can do that, that's great. I don't understand how in the world that's possible to also do that and maintain your sanity. Because from the very beginning, you are not just the church planter as a pastor, but you're also the elder and the deacon. And you're the setup team and teardown team. You're everything at the very beginning. And then, you, you know, you recruit people to, to help so you can, um, so you can uh, what's the term I'm looking for? Delegate. Delegate. Thank you. There, that's the term. Uh, delegate some responsibility, of course. But uh, I, I think that the funding is very important and we um, we have certainly raised money from within our core group as to, to, to give to their church, but also we sought um, avenues within our, our regional assembly, our classes, aka presbytery, and then across our federation. I mean, sending newsletters is very key. I mean, I traveled mm-hmm. a little bit here and there to preach in different pulpits so they can get to know me and get to know our church plants and do presentations on that. Uh, you know, spoke with people who who could put me in touch with, with uh, donors who were very 
um, uh, passionate about church planting. But I think a lot of it's just trial and error and just get to work and try to figure out what works because it's going to look different in the URC today than it did 10 years ago when we started. It's going to look different in one class to another. To if you're in a Baptist world, it's going to look different there than a Reformed world. I mean, it's going to look different. So I think you just need to, to uh, be very diligent in what you're doing. Send out handwritten thank you letters. Be very proactive in everything you're doing. And um, yeah, just a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, speaking to maybe a young church planter, what what were maybe some of the, the key priorities that um, that the young church planter should focus on? What were some priorities that you really focused on as you were beginning the mission field? You definitely have to prioritize because if you don't, you're going to be, um, you're not going to do anything well. And I think you just have to set your expectations initially that things are going to fall through the cracks. You cannot do big church at all day one. We're not even doing big church 10 years in. You have to have that the expectations adjusted very clearly to say, like, what's at the heart of our identity? Who are we going to be? And so therefore, what are we going to prioritize and do really, really well? Uh, we decided very early on that we were going to uh, begin right away with two Lord's Day services on Sundays, and we were going to have, as much as we could, have fellowship meals together. And when, once we were able to have the Lord's Supper, we were going to have that weekly. And so there were all sorts of programs that we couldn't do right away. We kind of added later on with more catechesis for kids and stuff. But we were just going to do, at the very beginning, as well as we possibly could, uh, two worship services, high view of the sacraments, and we're going to eat together. And that was about everything you could possibly do to to make that happen. Uh, I don't even know how many hour weeks I was working early on. If you ask my wife, she thankfully we didn't have kids at the time, but it was very busy. But um, I think yeah, you just need to tailor back to say what are we what are we all about here? And that's I think that I hope a reformed person comes to some similar conclusions that we came to. Uh, but people outside the Reformed tradition might conclude differently. Uh, but I think you have to very much say right away that the things that, you, that you're used to pastors doing in other contexts, you just simply can't do them. And so along with those things, we would then begin to I'd be, build very deeply into our core group in terms of a Reformed identity um, because they needed to understand why we were doing what we were doing, why we were so weird and we we're okay with being weird, and so I think that that kind of deep dive into our Belgic confession, especially what we used, that that um, that that was key to um, you know charting a course going forward. That's helpful. Yeah, and so I mean you're you're uh, obviously involved in um, church plans, other church plans. You're on the church planning committee. Uh, you hear of other church plans around. What are some ways that you've seen church planters engage the community that's been effective? The it's going to differ so wildly. Mm -hmm. I think that there's an opportunity we see in Madison right now that Colin has because it has a lot more of a small town feel to it, and he he genuinely runs into people that he's met before, he's ministered to before, visitors and he'll run into them at the supermarket, he'll just see them out and about. And I think that creates a real opportunity in a small town that's very different from a more 
um, suburban or metropolitan area because we don't see people again when you've come across them the one time. And so I think that adjust, adjusts the calculus a little bit. You know, we, um, I, think, I think Colin has seen some fruit and, you know, the kind of old, old school hanging things on doors or having like a vacation Bible school and things like that which I don't think necessarily is as effective in an urban place. Um, we, you know, we, we spent some time at some summer festivals and got booths to pass out literature and um, about our church and goodies that would remind people of our church. And that didn't really, uh, that didn't really lead to anybody visiting ever, but I think it was probably worthwhile at the beginning, especially for our people to spend time together mm -hmm. and to be uh, proactive in these respects. But I, I do think it, has, it very much has to be adjusted to where you are, what kind of a population you're reaching, what sort of people, um, what does your context welcome? We, we sent out uh, flyers, like mailers, to the town of Harrison, which is just west of here. And we had people just come to a Bible study off the back of flyers because, again, it operates like a small town. But you would never do that if you're here within the... Uh, our metropolitan, you know, uh, uh, freeway loop that goes around Cincinnati. No one would ever respond to a, a mailer and go to a, a Bible study with a pastor they've never met before and see people they've never, never met before. But so I think it's very contextually um, driven in terms of what what's appropriate and what's frankly just uh, practical to do. Sure. You don't want to waste your time or waste resources when you're already stretched. So sure, um, yeah. Now, uh, before I came to Westside, I remember I was pastoring at a church that was a couple hundred years old, and I remember some of our early days in, the, in, in a coffee shop, and we were chatting about just pastoral ministry and various challenges, and I noticed, you know, we both had different challenges, but being in an established church of a couple hundred years old yielded different challenges, mm -hmm. and you kind of had some of the opposite challenges. Oh, yeah. And so what are some of those challenges of a church planter that might be unique to, to church planting? I think the biggest one we're still feeling today is the lack of a, a church building to call home and like a, a, like a brick and mortar to help people situate you. I think that's made it hard for us to develop a really great, outreach strategy because you're like, where are we? I mean, we began in one part of the West side. We were currently in another part of the West side. We have had a few points in time where we thought we might be closing in on a church building and that would have completely changed our outreach strategy at that point. And so I think that that's been one of the biggest things to, to us is just having a facility and having a, a neighborhood around our facility that gives us a sense of permanence and rootedness Whereas right now we just, you know, we're pack up, we you know, unpack on a Sunday morning, we pack up and Sunday morning finishes, and then we're living out of a suitcase in the rest of the week. And so I think that that's a huge challenge that we face. And I think also within Cincinnati, maybe less so in other parts of the country and other parts of even our state, but I think people expect to see a church building. Uh, and if you don't have one, then it's just kind of, you're looked at as being a cult and being really weird. Again, maybe not so much like that in the east or west coasts, but I think here there's still an expectation that a church has a, the church is, has a church building. And if you don't, then you're probably weird. And so, well, we are weird in some ways. <laughs> uh, I don't think we're that weird. So, um, you know, we, I think that's, that's been a real, a real struggle to, to get to that point, to have resources, to 
have a property and to have develop a, a better strategy around you know a brick and mortar. So I think that's been difficult as well. Yeah. So um, we talked about some of the challenges, but what are some of the the great things about being a uh, a, a church plant. I mean, there's obviously there's probably some blessings as well. Yeah, there there are definitely some uh, great blessings. I, one more challenge I'll mention, just in case somebody's watching or maybe some people in church plant. I think one of the great challenges is the lack of manpower as well, mm. and not wanting to to overextend your own church, your own people, because you can't compromise the sheep who are coming to you for the sake of other sheep if you're not taking care of the ones that the Lord has entrusted to you, then why would he ever entrust other sheep to you? And so I think that that's a really important thing. You want to, you want to push people to be um, courageous in outreach, but you also don't want to have so much going on that you actually burn out the people that have placed their soul in your care. And so I think that's a big challenge as well, the lack of manpower yeah. along with the lack of you know, officers and things to help lead. But opportunities are all over the place. I mean, I just have loved being a church planter. Um, I, even though there are lots of trials, as you can probably tell, hearing me talk and see my face here, lots of trials still. But I think that <clears throat> that opportunity to help people discover a uh, Reformed tradition and to recognize the comfort of biblical Christianity has been just everything. And I was tell Colin Madison in Austin, Indianapolis and church planting, the highs are higher, the lows are lower. And so when you have those great highs, like just hold on to those things, remember those things because it'll help you get through the low times. But you know, you have people coming through your doors who might never go through another church, but they, for some reason they've found you or you found people who are completely burnt out with Christianity of the kind of revivalistic sort and the evangelical cotton candy that's given to them every every week or the you know legalistic roman catholicism that they've they've gotten and you're able to i i think you just you find more people like that and it, you you can still find those in established churches don't get me wrong but you really are front and center with those kinds of people in a church plant environment and getting to see them come to recognize just how comforting Christ is and how beautiful reformed worship is and to really help shape people into a, a new sort of piety that's um, biblical and rooted in the Christian tradition. And so I think those are some real exciting things. It's also, I've, I've also appreciated not having to deal with things that many others like the, the fights over the color of carpets and those mm. kinds of, th we, we can't afford those kind of fights because <laughs> I mean, we don't have carpet, our own carpet to fight over. So, you know, I think that you know, we've kind of felt like we're in that wartime mentality all the time where we're just happy to be together and we're happy to join arms with one another. And uh, I think that kind of, um, uh, you know, a culture is really fun to be part of, even though it can be pretty nerve wracking at times. Mm -hmm. so. so kind of turning our gaze maybe to um, someone who's thinking about joining a church plant, someone who's thinking about being part of a church plant. Uh, what would your advice be to that congregate who's going to maybe join a, and, and support a church plant? Please don't go into it and try to make it in your own image. I think we've been very blessed in our church not having had too much of that. 
But I think that there have been a few that came to our church who thought they were going to create us into this kind of a church or that kind of a church because we're small and they saw me as being a younger pastor and they thought maybe they can change me or something along those lines. But it's just really not fair to the, the pastor, the church plants and the denominations behind it, the oversight that's behind it. Uh, and so I think that going into it as someone who's ready to receive and to be shaped rather than to shape, I think is um, very important. I think going in without all the expectations that you might have for a big church is also important to you know, not be making demands on day one for like a kid's program or well, what are we doing for um, you know, the, the married couples or what about a group for the singles or a group for people who like to do whatever, uh, you know, underwater basket weaving group or something. Uh, I, I think that just recognizing that there's a lot, there's a, it's much more minimalist in terms of what can be done. And I think that's an opportunity actually to, um, to, to leave behind personal preferences and to uh, see yourself engaged in a much more minimalist capacity with other people. And it's a really beautiful thing. But I think you have to leave the expectations at the door and to be okay with certain things falling through the cracks, be okay with, um, yeah, not having a facility and be okay with change because it will change. And church plants will change very fast because the second, you know, the second you add 20 people to a church plant, you might have just doubled the church. And all of a sudden the church culture is completely different than it was back when you were 20 people. Now it's 40 or now it's 60. And it's very different now than it was last year or two years ago. And you could be left thinking, well, where's my church? The church that I joined a long time ago is no longer here. You know, I say, well, what's, what is your church? It's the word and sacrament ministry. It's the communion of the saints and the saints can, can change over the course of time. And, but our calling toward each other is still the same. And so I think that those kinds of recognition that of lots of volatility, lots of yeah, change and, you know, don't uh, burn yourself out. Those kinds of things are, I think, really important. Wait on God's timing. That's, that's helpful. Is there anything um, else you wanted to, to say about church planting before we close? Or I, I, I just say be really, as much as you can, be really humble about it. Be a student of it. I hope I'm still a student of it. I try to be. I don't think that <clears throat> you can always record these things in books. I think a lot of the time it just comes through talking to people who are living it and just being willing to try something and to see if it, how it goes. But um, I think that just being as much of a humble student with the process as you can is important. Well, while then having like very firm convictions about your doctrine, your worship, and those kinds of non-negotiables. But then, mm-hmm. you know, being ready to learn from people who come to your church, learn from fellow church planters, I think is, um, yeah, really, really important. So Yeah. Well, I hope that this was a helpful episode for you. You can visit our other episodes at cincyreform.org, and you can visit us at westsidereform.org. Thanks for stopping by.